WGR. This is how you clear out a path. Sports Talk Saturday. You just dig them out. You get low and you come with power. That off-season power that you get from working out all off-season. That extra 20 pounds. The extra lower body weight. That's why you lift the weight. To move the line of scrimmage. When you win the line of scrimmage, you win the game. Want to talk to Nate Geary? This is just beautiful. This is beautiful stuff. I can't get enough of this. Can we get a little of this, please? Can we just get a little bit of this? A little. Nine on seven. Oklahoma drills. Just dig them out. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right. Good morning. Happy Sports Talk Saturday, Nate Geary. And um, we've got a lot of inclement weather on the horizon today, so uh, so be prepared for that. I've got my... Uh, Got my producer here, Zach Jones, who you just heard on the update. Sabres played last night. They lose 2-1 to one to the Rangers. And um, a pretty dramatic, I guess, finish. Uh, a lot of stuff towards the end of the game, including a, uh, a dirty play and some, um, some, some good things for their next matchup against the New York Rangers. As Zach said, they'll be uh, facing off again tonight in a quick turnaround against the Washington Capitals. And um, I've got a full... Show here set up for you today. Uh, we're going to talk about Bills and Buccaneers. Uh, to do that, in about a half hour, I'll have uh, my buddy from New York Upstate, Ryan Talbot. He'll join a program, and we'll uh, we'll break down a little bit of sort of what's been going wrong with this Bills offense, uh, a little bit more about this Buccaneers team and what to expect, and then we'll get the full dive on the Tampa Bay Bucks, see what they're doing defensively. Uh, obviously, Richard Sherman will be back in the lineup for Tampa Bay. It's expected that he may start at safety, so we'll see, we'll talk to John Ledger from the Pewter Report, uh, who is also... Um, been on this program many times, if you recognize the name, and um, he covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now moved down there earlier last year uh, during the pandemic, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to pick his brain about you know what has been going right for Brady in this offense without Antonio Brown, uh, Leonard Fournette's breakout season, which is definitely a thing. We'll talk to John at 12 about all of that, and then at 12.30, uh, my man Mike Tanier from Football Outsiders, New York Times, he does... Uh, written pieces for just about everyone. He'll join us at 12.30. He dubbed this Bills team, and hold on, I, I, w- I want to make sure that I get the phrase right. Uh, hold on, time out. i got to find my tweet. Got to find my tweet. We're so close. We're so close. Okay. Um, something called Chumpzilla. Chumpzilla. I don't really know what it is, but Mike will tell you. Uh, he also tells you in his piece, which you can find up at Football Outsiders, as well as column that he did uh, on Friday that dropped. And um, we'll have Mike on to talk a little bit about the Bills, what's been going wrong there. And then at 1 o'clock, we'll, uh, we'll finish up with our Bills and Buccaneers talk with Cover One's Greg Thompson and talk a little bit, too, about uh, the roster moving forward, as uh, as Greg is widely considered the cap guru of uh, of my buddies. So we'll uh, we'll talk to him at one o'clock. Sort of get the breakdown of his roster and, and how it gets constructed moving forward. 803-0550-188-552-5. Those are the numbers if you want to give us a call again. Um, just be safe out there today. There are um, a lot of weather reports of really high sustained winds overnight. If you kind of opened up your 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 Twitter machine to look at your your you know, news topics, you know that this storm generated like 30 tornadoes last night in the Midwest through Kentucky um, into Tennessee, 
and uh, you know, it was a very, very deadly overnight storm. And 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 the remnants of that storm uh, is supposed to be coming into this way into Western New York right around 1 p.m. this afternoon. Um, so if you've got your blow up. Um, Christmas ornaments or whatever you want to call them outside on your lawn, probably a good time to deflate and bring back into the garage, at least for the night, so that you you can find it tomorrow morning because there's um, a great little uh, graphic that Jeremy White uh, tweeted out this morning. Well, he didn't tweet it, you quote tweeted it, but the news basically put together a scale of wind by... The severity of the wind by how far your garbage can will be down the street. And this uh, windstorm is expected to bring your garbage can at least to your neighbor's yard. So hunker down. Uh, make sure you've secured your um, your garbages, your Christmas decorations, so on and so forth. Because it should be a doozy today also with some rain as well. Bills pregame tomorrow. Bills are on the road, obviously, in Tampa Bay. Looking like a beautiful forecast. 80 degrees and very warm and humid down in Tampa Bay for tomorrow's game. Kickoff set for 425 right here on WGR. Myself and Jeremy White will start things off with Buffalo Bills game day at 11. Joe DiBiase kind of hops in and uh, takes Jeremy's place for countdown to kickoff the roundtable. And then uh, kickoff at 425 between the Bills and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'll be on the overtime show, which starts promptly at 930 here on WGR. And we'll go till about uh, 1130. And we'll take phone calls, uh, go through the game, and hopefully it will be a positive one at that. Some, some, um, something to note here, too, uh, is the around the NFL, Tom Pelissero is, uh, is reporting today that there is some serious tension building between Urban Meyer and the Jaguars players and staff um, in Jacksonville. And uh, my buddy Mike Tanier, who will be joining us at 1230, quotes the piece and says, quote, during a staff meeting, Meyer delivered a biting message that he's a winner and his assistant coaches are losers, challenging each coach individually to explain why they've won and forcing them to defend their resumes. Really normal stuff happening in Jacksonville. And for a guy that's desperately looking for Trevor Lawrence to have any level of competence behind him in that organization, this has got to be the, the 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 one and only season for Urban Meyer, would be my guess. It's insane to me that the Buffalo Bills allowed themselves to lose to Urban Meyer. I cannot believe that for the life of me, that the Buffalo Bills lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And man, talk about talk about relevancy. Let's go to Ray and Clarence, who's also pissed that the Bills lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Can you believe that they lost to Urban Meyer, Ray? I cannot, you know, I'm still, I can deal with losing to the Patriots. I can deal with, you know, we lose, to, but you got to beat Jacksonville. You got to beat Detroit. Those are the games. My gosh, you know, you look back and you think back to the opener against Pittsburgh when I didn't think we'd lose at all. And it's like, yep. this is all crazy. And there is such a disconnect with the offense. Now, I'm not a football guy where I've played, but things are logical to me. They, if the safeties are taken away long, you throw shorter if you can't run. Where is Beasley? I'm not saying it's Beasley's fault, but this guy's not open. Why is he not in there? Where's our creativity I've been calling for two months? Where's our four and five wide receiver sets? I'm not saying you do it 40 times a play. There's no misdirection. This is the disconnect I'm talking about. And then it's like, all right, Jonathan Taylor runs on us. 
up the wazoo. Okay, well, we don't, our excuse is we don't have Star, we don't have Edmonds, uh, we have second string guys in. All right, well, the same thing happens with our elite players. But even that I can deal with because it's like, you know, they're, they're going to get their yards, so they got it that way, like Jeremy had said. There is, you, you're going to punish Isaiah um, McKenzie for a fumble? I mean, the guy took a 70-yarder back on the opening kickoff. Mm-hmm. He's, you're going you're gonna to punish him? you punish Allen for fumbling and throwing stupid interceptions? Of, of course not. It's it just, there's a disconnect, and I... I'm upset. You know, I can deal with losing, but it's it's the stupid things how you lose. That that's what I'm upset about. Yeah, Ray. Listen, I mean, I, I I'm with you on this whole McKenzie and and Breida thing because you know you've got Devin Singletary who's put the ball on the ground more than any other running back in the NFL, and he still continues to be this team's sort of primary option when Zach Moss goes to the bench and Matt Breida comes up. It's still Singletary that's starting the game and getting the majority of the carries. And and listen, I. I would agree, and I would say that almost all of us would mutually agree that Matt Breida has to stop giving Sean McDermott reasons to take him off the field. And listen, when you put the ball on the ground in the situations that McKenzie and Breida did, I get it. Like, they're frustrating and you can't have it happen, but they're the only two players on this roster that have plus-level speed and agility that can really take the ball and take it and, and just and wa- run in a straight line past people. And that's what this offense is missing. It's missing that home run threat. It's an accident. It's, it, 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 now, if it's habitual, that's different. It's not habitual with these two people. And that's the frustrating thing. I mean, do we do you fire... Stable because he made a stupid call. I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, if it's habitual, it's one thing. If it's once in a while, you just eat it, and that's the way it goes. I mean, do we all the times that our our uh, linebackers drop potential interceptions that are right in their hands? Do we not play him because it should have been a turnover? I mean, that's just stupid logic to me. No, listen to you, man. I'm <laughs> I, I'm with you, Ray. And thanks for the call, brother. I appreciate you. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Um, it, it's th- there's real hope that. You know, this thing over the next five weeks can 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 pivot back to what they were I, offensively, right? Defensively, listen, I, there's still a lot of questions, and and I know nobody wants to talk about this, but there are going to be a ton of questions about this offense and this defense for the rest of the season because no Trey White. What does the defense look like against a competent passing offense, an offense that wants to throw the football and throw it to beat you, which is what's going to be on tap for the Bills tomorrow in Tampa Bay. The best and most prolific passing team right now in the NFL is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Leonard Fournette has turned into the top pass catching back in all of football. Tom Brady is averaging like 330 yards, maybe his best output of his career. He's on pace to break the all he's on pace to be second all-time in pass completions and second all-time in pass attempts. So you're going to get a really good idea very early what you have in Dane Jackson in this defense. And on the offensive side of the ball, that's one of the best offensive lines in football, and they have been over the last two seasons, calendar years, the best pound-for-pound run defense in all of the league. Do you want to play physical against this defensive line? Because the Bills are a finesse team. They are a finesse team. And the more they try to be something they're not, which is this physically, you know, imposing run downfield north-south running offense, 
the more they're going to spin their tires in the mud. And that's where they are now. They're trying to be something they are not. They they purposely built their team one way, and the head coach is, is just adamant that they try another. So there is a disconnect, Ray. You are right. There is a serious disconnect between what the head coach and the philosophy that he believes his team is capable of playing and winning with and what the roster that your general manager created for you to win with. You built a defense and an offense to go up and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And now everyone has got the script out on Kansas City, so therefore they've got the script on you. And now you realize that teams want to play you physically. Kansas City went out and addressed that physicality. They are a physically dominant defensive line. Chris Jones is a mean man. He's finally, the earlier struggles of this season, were, I think, really were around him playing the edge position. He was bumped from three-tech to edge last offseason. And when they traded for Melvin Ingram, that allowed them to move Ingram to the edge and bring Chris Jones back down to his three-technique position. That means in the middle right now, they've got Jaron Reed and Chris Jones. That's a mean, that's a physical interior defensive line. On the offensive side, Creed Humphrey in the second round. Joe Tooney, free agency. Orlando Brown Jr., a trade. And Trey Smith, their right guard in the draft. And they have remade their offensive line. Now, their... What we have right now in the middle with Creed Humphrey is a center right now who's graded the top center in the league according to Pro Football Focus. I know the grades aren't gospel for Pro Football Focus, but it's something to mention and monitor. That the guy that went three picks after Boogie Basham is considered right now by a company that does grades for every single player in the league as the best player in his position I don't know. This is this is a dead horse, right? The Boogie Basham over Creed Humphrey thing. But I'll continue to say it because the interior of this offensive line is desperate for someone to take over. It's desperate for someone to play with a level of meanness and physicality. And maybe that's John Feliciano, but he has not been good when he's been in there. Certainly, he brings the mean streak, but he does not necessarily bring the effectiveness. He doesn't bring he doesn't bring that competence that you're hoping to see. So this offensive line. Is having an identity crisis because their head coach is asking them to do things. And maybe I'm being in the same light that Bill Belichick got credit for running the ball 46 times when he doesn't call offensive plays. I guess maybe I am blaming in almost the same breath some of the offensive issues on, on Sean McDermott. The same way everybody wants to give credit to Bill, I'm going to give some fault to Sean on the, on the offensive side of the ball. He needs to get his hands out of the cookie jar. He needs Brian Dable to formulate game plans around the weaknesses of a defense. And the weakness of this Tampa Bay defense is the secondary. Richard Sherman, who is three years from qualifying for AARP, is essentially going to be the biggest name in that defensive backfield right now. Antoine Winfield Jr., I believe he is playing. So he's your best defensive back. There's no doubt about it. But that secondary is riddled with injuries. Their offense, capable of overcoming it. And, and Joe and, and, and Sale on this station yesterday on the Extra Point Show, they were talking about why this game gives them the confidence that this Bills team is going to turn it around, particularly on offense, is that Joe said he trusts, and I'm going to press him on this on pregame tomorrow. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Joe trusts this Bills offense in a game like Sunday. Sunday. 
where you've got good weather conditions and a secondary that's primed to give up passing yards and an offense that's going to throw the football all over the yard in Tampa Bay. And you trust, Joe said he trusted the Bills offense in a game like that. And I do trust the 2020 Bills offense in a game like that. I don't trust this year's offense. I don't know how you can trust this year's offense. They scored six points against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I don't have a ton of trust that the 2020 offense is going to arrive in Tampa Bay tomorrow and and throw up 45 points and win in a shootout. I don't have faith, and there is nothing that suggests you should either. Sean's got to get his hands out of the cookie jar on the offensive side of the ball. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to John in the Catskills. John, uh, good morning to you, my friend, and uh, what do you got? Good morning. How are you? Used to live in Rochester, moved out here to this beautiful country, the Catskill area. Uh, been following, you know, the, my team. Uh, what have we seen out of Sean McDermott in the last, let's say, five weeks? And everything you just said is a perfect segue to what I'm going to say. Uh, so many of these problems we're having come back to his, I'm going to say, incompetence, poor judgment. Uh, what have we seen out of him in the last five weeks that says, yeah, he's the guy to take us forward to the promised land versus it's time to shop for his replacement? Yeah, thanks for the call, John. I, I would say this. Um, I, I I would say that the recency bias of this is probably poisoning your overall thought of Sean McDermott, who has had, you know, some of the most success that any coach in this organization has had for the better part of three and a half decades. So, you know, last year this was the guy that did coach a team to an AFC championship game. So I, I can't simply forget everything that has been the last, you know, 12 months for the last five weeks. I, I, I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't or you can't. But I think the real Sean McDermott conundrum here is that he has a defense. He has a defense that he trusts, that he believes in. And right now, he trusts and believes in that defense more than he does the offense. And I think it's really just as simple as that, is that by trusting the defense in situations more than he trusts the offense, and let's be real, guys, the offense has not given Sean McDermott a ton of really good evidence that they should be trusted in a fourth and three situation to go for it on their own 45-yard line, right? I mean, how many times has this offense shown that maybe you shouldn't trust them? So some of this goes down, or really comes down and boils down to a shift in his trust on which side of the ball he believes he can put in a difficult situation, can carry the water, and get them out of it. And right now, what Sean McDermott trusts is late in the football game, down two scores, or down one score, down four points, that he could kick a field goal, and give it back to his defense to get the ball back to his offense. And not, I believe that my offense can get this three yards or seven yards or ten yards or whatever it is, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's what I believe has shifted in Sean McDermott. Not, you know, uh, he, not he's a bad coach or uh, there's I, – I don't believe Sean McDermott's a bad coach. In fact, I still believe top, Sean McDermott's a top-ten coach. He was widely considered one of the best coaches in the league last year. He was like one of the runners-up for coach of the year last year. So what I believe this is is 
simply a shift in ideological trust. And I think Sean's got to be careful because that trust in the defense, it's leaking over and coming off as lack of trust on the offense. Let's go to Sean in Buffalo. Sean, thanks for the call. Hello. How are you guys? Um, I just I agree with a lot of what you're saying uh, as far as the weakness on the interior offensive line. Um, the, the center that went around uh, Basham's pick, I think that's just need, and you know you have Morris in place, and you're so uh, overall, I wouldn't get rid of uh, Sean McDermott because he benched Isaiah McKenzie. So I'm a little bit uh, disagreeing with the coach slander. Uh, I, I see you're defending him from people calling for his job straight up, but if you're going to constantly compare our coach to uh, Belichick, who's probably the greatest coach of all time. It's going to be no one's going to live up to the standard, right? So maybe uh, Frank Reich, if we had hired him five, six years ago instead of Ryan. But uh, point being, the staff is pretty good. I'll trust them with what they have out here. And I mean, the interior offensive line, we definitely need to upgrade. Mm-hmm. Luciano isn't the answer. Morse is good in pass protection and weak in run protect or run blocking. So it looks like Spencer Brown was a good pick. You know, it looks like. Uh, Groot was a good pick, Russo. So we'll see what happens, and I'm not going to worry. I don't think we should throw uh, the coaching staff under the bus here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the call, Sean. Listen, I, you know, I, I, again, I, I do feel there is a level that I, that I want to be able to defend the coach from some of the hotter takes of, hey, he's got to go. Because listen, I mean, it is. It's been a tough five week stretch for this Bills team. Really, it's been a tough seven week stretch. But I would agree that the best head coaches, whether it's Belichick, Frank Reich, um, Brandon Staley, uh, Bruce Arians, doesn't matter. What the best head coaches do is look at the roster they have and they run a scheme that fits their strengths. And right now, the Bills are trying to run a scheme offensively that does not fit their strength. So that's why I believe that a level of this has to do with Sean wanting influence over how Brian Dable's calling plays. Again, I don't know this to be fact. I'm not saying that Sean McDermott is in the headset vetoing plays in real time. I'm not saying any of that. But what I do believe is that there's a certain kind of way that Sean wants to win. And right now, that that type of style is not conducive to winning with the, with the roster that they currently have in place. They need to throw their way out of this. And I'm not sure the coach is comfortable enough to allow that to happen because he's an old school old school style coach. Let's go to Jeff and Chicktawaga before we take a timeout. Jeff, you're on the uh, you're on Sports Talk Saturday. Welcome. Oh darn, we lost him. Um, all right, well this gives us a good opportunity to take a timeout because on the other side, New York Upstate's Ryan Talbot joins me. We'll talk more about this Sean McDermott uh, thing that that apparently everybody else wants to talk about. So we'll talk to Ryan. That's coming up next here on Sports Talk Saturday. Don't go anywhere here on WGR. Okay, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. Good morning to you here, 1130, our second segment. We've got our first guest of the afternoon and morning here on the Western Hotline. Joining me now is Ryan Talbot from New York Upstate. Um, Ryan, I think for whatever reason today, the Tom ah, Tom Palacero piece that just came out about the Jacksonville Jaguars is sort of bringing back bad memories of that Bills game in Jacksonville that they somehow found a way to lost that, lost that game against Jacksonville and Urban Meyer. Is 
Do you believe that a lot of the feelings about this Bills team and maybe lack of trust and 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 the pressure that now exists, maybe does does everything bad and terrible about this season stem from that game? I, I don't know if it stems from that game or not. I mean, you could always you go all the way back to week one in a Pittsburgh Steelers game that they uh, really had no business losing. But Jacksonville by far is the worst loss of this season. It's a game where – uh, if you're a real contender in this league, you should not have had any trouble putting out more than six points against Jacksonville. I know the Bills kind of started moving the ball late and figuring things out, but they still fell short of their goal. And, you know, you're looking at a Bills team now that that's hovering in the playoff picture where right now they're that seven seed, but a loss on Sunday could knock them into the in the hunt category. And really, this is a team that could have controlled their own destiny at this point had they have gotten one extra yard against the Tennessee Titans on a a play where you generally trust Josh Allen to get that yard, had you defeated a team that you absolutely should have beaten in Jacksonville, and and had you knocked off a New New England Patriots team that only passed the ball three times on Monday Night Football, you win those games and you're sitting pretty in the AFC, and and the whole conversation about the Buffalo Bills is a lot different. Ryan, I I think – I continue. I just got a tweet. I want to read you the tweet because I think it's actually a good question, and and I and I think it would be good for adding the proper context to it. But I get a a, a tweet from Pete. And he says, "I don't get where all this talk of McDermott wanting to go back to ground and pound all of a sudden. Team is top five in neutral game uh, situations and passing. Saying he wants to control the line of scrimmage helps the pass game as much as it does the run game. And although I would agree with that, I think it's a level of conventionally." Ryan, this team does not run the football well. If you take out, and I know that that's cherry picking. It literally is the definition. If I take out Josh Allen's running uh, running yards, this is one of, if not the worst rushing attack in all the league. So you can't do that. You can't take Josh's runs out. But if this team doesn't want to lean into Josh the runner and they want to run the ball conventionally, and they want to do it by being physical at the line of scrimmage, A, do you believe that they, I guess really the question here. Ryan, is even though they're running the football less than a lot of teams, it feels like they should run it even less because they, they, just, they just don't have success when they try to turn out, turn around, line up in an eye or single back formation and hand the ball to Moss, Singletary, or Breida, and maybe short of Breida. Breida's had marginal success, but I think even he, Ryan, like we look at Breida as the saving grace because he looks like replacement level compared to what we've seen in a large sample size of both Singletary and Moss. Like, is it really just as simple as they're not good running the ball, so they should pass the ball even more? Like, is that, I guess, is that the the premise of the argument we're all having with each other? Yeah, it, it is. Listen, I, I understand where Sean McDermott's coming from. You, you want to run the ball well. You want to be able to chew clock off. Uh, if you're holding a lead late in a game, but this team does not have the personnel at running back or offensive line to do that successfully. Uh, you, you look at the offensive line play, Deion Dawkins is having a down year. I think like Butker has gotten better in these last few weeks, but he's a replacement level average player. You can say the same for the player that starts in, in front of him in John Feliciano when he's out there. Feliciano brings a little bit more in terms of, uh, what he sees pre-snap and all that. But, again, you're not talking about an all-pro player. Mitch Morse, very good center. Uh, not a guy that you want at center, though, if you want to be a physical running attack. He's more 
Uh, there's things that he does very well, but I don't think a physical rushing attack is in that arsenal. And, and then, obviously, you know, the, the right side of the line, I think you have a little bit more success there with Daryl Williams and, and Spencer Brown when they're both in. But I, there's not, nothing on that line, first and foremost, that screams rush, you know, a rushing uh, power offensive line there like the Colts or, or like the Patriots like we've seen this year. And then the running back room, you mentioned it. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss taking back-to-back years in the draft. Uh, not the same player, but a lot of the same skills. Uh, and there, the vision maybe isn't there in some plays. Obviously, the burst isn't there. The, the ability to get through that first line if there's a slight opening. They seem to be running into their own guys, getting hit behind the line. They, they can't necessarily create for themselves where some better backs can do that. And then, obviously, at the second level, they can create on their own. Buffalo doesn't have that personnel. Breida, like you said, he's he's shined at times, but... Uh, that's because he's been able to use his speed in certain situations, more, even more so as a pass catcher than a rusher, in my opinion. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that they have the answer on their practice squad and in, in Antonio Williams, but maybe you give that guy a shot. He looked good in Week 17 against the Dolphins. It can't get any worse. But at, at the end of the day, you have to play to your strengths, and rushing the ball is not one of Buffalo's strengths. If you want to run the ball more, activate uh, or, or get Isaiah McKenzie back onto that field. I don't care if he doesn't return kicks or punts. Get him in there to use motion. Get him in there on jet sweeps, and it doesn't have to be McKenzie, but he's been the guy in the past. He's been pretty good at it. Um, you, you can get creative with how you carry the ball. And then, obviously, Josh Allen. Uh, I'm still sitting here days after Monday Night Football wondering why the Bills didn't just give Josh Allen multiple design runs on first and goal from the six. I don't know why he handed off to Zach Moss on first down why you try to do you know, a play-action pass on second and then get sacked on that play. It, whether it was a design run off the gut, a sweep, or even a QB sneak, an early down QB sneak, which I think could have gained some yards. If you keep the ball in Josh Allen's hands, he's going to punch it in, I think, after three or four runs, where the Bills just continue to shoot themselves in the foot trying to be something that they're not. Ryan, I guess how much of this comes down to Brian Dable? Because I think he has become maybe one of the easiest guys to scapegoat in the struggles of this offense. And and I think some of it has been earned. Some of it I don't I don't think a lot of the criticism I'm not sure is is developed in fact. And I think a lot of it is projecting. But what I will say, Ryan, is it's almost the exact same personnel as they had last year. And you might make the argument that they're they should be more equipped to beat zone defense more than they were last year with the infusion of Emmanuel Sanders instead of John Brown in this offense, that they, that he really is one of their most ideal you know, zone beaters um, at the wide receiver position. But I get this sense, and, and I just think about any of our regular jobs, Ryan, right? Is the offensive coordinator is not the boss. He's one of the boss. He's middle management, right? He gets his marching orders, his pecking orders, from his boss, which is Sean McDermott. And... I don't know how much Sean is influencing the game plan. I I don't think anybody actually knows that. And but I do want to try to equate this Ryan to all of our everyday jobs is that if the boss tells you that this is the way that this company does things and your middle management, your job is to get everybody underneath you in line working towards that goal that's being set forth by the boss, by Sean McDermott in this case. So would you say that some of the the conventional running styles that they're running is because of Sean, or do you just believe that this is this issue, this problem on offense, is fully on the shoulders 
of Brian Dable. No, not, it's not fully on the shoulders of Brian Dable. And, and, again, we don't know how much influence Sean McDermott is having in terms of, listen, we need to be physical up front, rushing the ball. Um, and, and if he is saying that, then even less of the blame has to go on Brian Dable. Uh, because I, I think he knows after one, you know, quite a few seasons here in Buffalo, but especially after a great season in 2020 in offense, he knows what the strengths of this offense are. And you mentioned it. The personnel didn't change much, and if anything, it improved. You, you swap out John Brown, who was injured a lot last year, with Emmanuel Sanders. You're not swapping out Dawson Knox, but you're getting an, a better version of Dawson Knox in 2021 than you ever had in 2020. Uh, he's having a career year this year. And then you still have Stefan Diggs. You still have Colt Beasley. Maybe Beasley's been a little bit more banged up this, this year. And Gabriel Davis, who they're finally starting to feature a little bit more on offense, when they have, he's looked the part. He's looked pretty good in his role. So you would think that this team would not be having the offensive issues that they have. But it goes back to what you said. What is going on behind the scenes? Are, are they being told, or is Brian Dable being told to run a certain way? And, and even if Dable is the one that wants to be you know, more physical up front, he can't control the penalties that this team is taking. He can't control some of the mind-numbing turnovers, the, the fumble that Matt Breida had that literally um, just kind of bounced off of him or on special teams when, with Isaiah McKenzie a few games ago. This team, the players on the field, are also playing their fair share mm-hmm. or their fair part in, in kind of uh, the team's woes this season. Ryan Talbot here of New York Upstate on the West Her Hotline. You can check out he and Matt Prino's podcast, Shout, the Buffalo Football Podcast, anywhere you get your podcast on Apple or Spotify. Um, Ryan, and, and to sort of follow up with this question is personnel. And talking about they're almost at this point, you, you mentioned Gabriel Davis, which I think is important. I want to throw in Matt Breida and Isaiah McKenzie as two other players that I think I'm sort of getting on the same level as here, which as they've got these players and the offense isn't working and this offense didn't run through Isaiah McKenzie or anything last year, but I thought the that the more that offense incorporated Isaiah McKenzie, and it didn't just mean, Ryan, him touching the football, but pre-snap, using him as eye candy, using him as a distraction pre-snap. I, I want to say that this team, I don't have the splits in front of me, but by looking at it, I would say this team is dramatically down in pre-snap motion, that they are not looking at, and, and my excuse for that, Ryan, was that I think they know what defenses are doing. They're running zone coverage. They're not really running man. So that last year when you saw a lot of that motion, a lot of that was just a pre-snap ID whether they were in man or zone. The thing is, is everyone's running zone now, so why do the motion? But there there is more to motion than just pre-snap identification of coverage. And, and I think those things, including in their weird – it's ever it's just so obvious to everyone, Ryan, that, that Breida gives them the most in that backfield, and yet he's got 22 carries on the season. So the personnel usage, and then you mentioned Gabriel Davis, who still is struggling to get snaps ahead of uh, you know Emmanuel Sanders. And what happened to Cole Beasley? He's just, is it injury-related? Yeah, I know he's got this rib thing, but the personnel usage seems head-scratching, and that's just not something I came to expect from this team. I always thought that they put their guys in the best positions to succeed, and that has not been the case this year. No, I do agree with that. And, you know, in terms of uh, emotion rates, Cover One put something out in a tweet uh, yesterday, and I know you're going to have Greg on pretty soon. But red zone motion rate on pass, they're at 50% last year. They're at 46% this year. Overall motion, they were at 39% last year and down to 33% this year. And you're right. It's not just identifying 
if, if someone's in man or if they're in zone. It's also throwing the, the defense off balance a little bit with an end around, or with a jet sweep here and there or even moving a player to one side of the field. You, you could use Stephon Diggs in motion on some of those plays and, and kind of uh, maybe put him on a side of a field where you think he has a more advantageous uh, matchup, even if it's in zone in terms of who's over there on that side of the field. There, there are little things that they could be doing that they're not doing and uh, they're not necessarily putting their playmakers out there on the field. You know, Isaiah McKenzie's in the doghouse, and, and it, I don't know if he was getting out. I thought I don't think so either. Against, uh, I thought last week against New England would have been a good week to do it. Not so much from the return aspect, but we, we knew for about a solid week what the weather forecast looked like. And I get it. He, he fumbled when he slipped on, on the turf and no one hit him, but I, I still think he could have been an asset in, in that game on the field on just sweeps. Uh, even using him in the backfield as a uh, in some looks that we we saw at training camp and things like that, where they were, they were kind of showing some unique personnel packages, but it just hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm, I'm with you that Brita gives you the best option on offense. Now there's, there's certain things he can and cannot do. He was one of the players that had a terrible fumble on Monday Night Football against the Patriots, uh, where they turned it over in Patriots territory and they were kind of driving the ball. It was right after they picked up the first first down on a Brita reception, of course, uh, and then he he kind of coughs it up. So, you know, um, McDermott will will put you in the doghouse when you make a mistake in game too, which we saw with Brita. So. At some point, yes, you don't want your players making mistakes, but at the same time, you can't punish them short-term or long-term off the field because at the end of the day, you're, you're punishing this overall team in terms and, and handcuffing what Brian Dable can and cannot do. Ryan, uh, last couple of things I have for you here is I, I do want to switch gears. I want to ask you a little bit about this matchup on Sunday and, and, and ask you about where you believe this Bills offense could potentially – you know, take advantage of some things on this Tampa Bay defense. They are, for the most part, pretty healthy on the back end. They they had been, in previous weeks, I mean, just decimated with injury on their defensive backfield. They're getting Richard Sherman back. He's expected to be in the lineup, even if it's just, um, you know, at a part-time clip, maybe not as a starter or a full-time player on that defense side of the ball. But they are pretty healthy, and, and I think that may not be common knowledge. Yeah, you're right. I mean, listen, they're going to be uh, – Tampa Bay is going to be without Jordan Whitehead. Uh, they're starting safety. But for the most part, they're, they're pretty healthy. And this is not a great matchup for Buffalo uh, whatsoever. Listen, I, I think the Bills can put up points against that Tampa Bay defense. I, I really do. But when you look at what Buffalo is going to be going against, uh, we didn't really get to see the cornerbacks get tested last week. Mac Jones threw three times the win. Uh, obviously, but also just the fact that Belichick wanted nothing to do with him throwing. Tom Brady is going to be throwing the ball a lot on Sunday, a lot. And he's going to be targeting Levi Wallace and Dean Jackson. And if he has really success against one, he's going to keep picking on that player. Uh, and he's going to force him to stop that, whether it's a pass breakup, whether it's some kind of turnover. And, and that's what we're going to call You know, without truly one, there to take out a portion of the field. Mm. You have to worry about a, a really good wide receiver duo uh, in Evans and Godwin. You obviously still have to worry about Rob Gronkowski, who's found the fountain of youth of sorts and still playing at a very high level at tight end. And then, obviously, the other factor is it's not just Tom Brady. They have Leonard Fournette. Uh, you know, he's in that top half of the league in rushing yards, and, and the Bills are going to be without Star Latula in this matchup in the middle of the defense. Uh, that's an issue. So they're going to be very balanced on offense. They're just without one player 
uh, on defense. They have some other guys that are questionable, but generally more times than not, a lot of those players that are questionable end up playing for the team. So it's just hard to sit here and see a path for the Bills where they're going to win this. But at the same time, you know, there's been games where you kind of have kind of down a little bit and they've shown up in a big way. And there's been little games where you expected them to win and, and they've laid an egg. So I guess it's just kind of one of those wait-and-see scenarios with the Bills on Sunday afternoon. All right, Ryan, uh, tell the folks what you got going on uh, in terms of work coming up, uh, any good podcast guests, what you got on the on the docket here as uh, as we head into the uh, maybe the most important stretch of the NFL season, my friend. Yeah, absolutely, the most important stretch. You know, Matt and I, uh, we do show a few times per week. We generally do a Wednesday show, a Friday show, and then a post-game show. Uh, we're working on a few different guests here for the end of the season stretch, so keep an eye on that for Shout. And then on nyup.com and syracuse.com, we'll have you covered uh, this weekend with all Bills, uh, Bills Buccaneers news, but then everything all the way through the regular season and hopefully for the sake of Bills fans into the playoffs. All right, buddy. Appreciate you as always. Thanks for joining me and being available. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, make sure you get all of the Christmas decorations from the porch, the blow-up ones. Get them inside. Uh, there is some nasty wind coming. I'm I'm seeing a report from the Detroit airport right now. 65-mile-per-hour winds uh, at the Detroit airport. That's coming towards us, buddy. So I'm just saying... Handle the biz. Take the ornaments and the and the, uh, the decorations off the front lawn. You can get it back out there tomorrow. Hey, you got it. I'm on it. All right, buddy. Appreciate you. Enjoy the weekend. Ryan Talbot there of New York Upstate and the Shout a Buffalo football podcast. I'm going to take a timeout on the other side. I'll, uh, I'll preview hour two, which features John Ledger to the Pewter Report and Mike Tanier of uh, Football Outsiders and the New York Times. We've got that coming up next here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. little segment here getting you ready for the 12 o'clock hour i've got john ledger joining the program next john is the uh the writer over at uh, pewter report we'll talk a lot this next segment about the tampa bay buccaneers where the bills might be able to uh to find some weaknesses within the defense and and on the offense what has been clicking so well and in, in, in what this bill's defense can do defensively to get after brady and that tampa offense and then at 12 30 mike tenier of football outsiders he did a column on friday that came out he called the bills chumpzilla and i'm excited to talk to him about what that sound or what that even means first first and foremost um but what his thoughts are about he, – he did pick the Buccaneers 28-20 um, in his column uh, yesterday. So we'll, we'll get his thoughts on why he believes the, the Bucks will win this game and uh, what that means for the Bills moving forward. So we're going to take a timeout. On their side, John Ledger, Peter Report. That's coming up next here on WGR.